We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So turn over there in your Bibles. And we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians 15 through verse 26. The Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which was which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this, to this present time, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. But if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In this life only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, 
Then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. This is the end of all things. This is the culmination of all things that God may be all in all. So the greatest tragedy produced the greatest victory and the greatest hope. The crucifixion of Jesus, the murder of the Son of God, was at the same time the greatest tragedy and the greatest victory. And all of that through the power of the resurrection. It was a tragedy and a victory ordained by God himself for our redemption and for his glory. Father, as we look today, as we consider today the resurrection of Christ, I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. I pray, God, that the darkness that life often brings to us, the trials and the tribulations and the pressures and the things that distract us, that try to take our gaze from you and put them on to the things of this world. I pray, Father, that you would bring our attention back, that you would bring our eyes back, our focus back to Christ, and that we would see your plan, your hand at work in all of creation, in all of history, that we would see that you took the greatest tragedy in creation and brought forth the greatest victory in creation. Father, give us hope today. Reveal the hope that you have given us in Christ. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and change our hearts and our minds that we would be a people who trust, who rejoice, who hope always in all things in Christ. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 24, when Peter preaches his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he spoke these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And again in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 29, after Peter and John come back from being... Um, chastised and threatened because of their witness to Christ in the temple. And they come back rejoicing and they pray this prayer and, 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 and they say this, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. 
Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. God ordained such a tragedy as the murder of his son to bring about such a victory as the resurrection of his son for the justification of his people for his glory. This is what the Bible teaches us, that the crucifixion was not an accident. It just wasn't the evil plan of men. It was the ordained purpose of God. And God ordained this great tragedy in order to bring forth a great victory. And this fact, this reality must give us hope. This is why you must have eyes to see and ears to hear. You must not look at the things of this world. You must turn your eyes to Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Because if God had a plan in the murder of his own son, then know this, that God has a plan in everything that comes to your life. This is hope. This is God's promise. So the plan and the purpose of God in all things, both tragic and not tragic, both difficult and not difficult, should inform us that we have reason both to hope and to rejoice in all things. This is not necessarily easy. I'm not being naive. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy, but it is necessary and true. The cross was not the easy way, but it was the way the Father determined And the son endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And by faith, we must in all things, in all circumstances, at all times, see by faith the joy that God has set before us in Christ. And this joy is not a far away or a fleeting joy. It's not just a joy that we'll have one day when we get to go to heaven. It's a joy that God has secured for us. It's a joy that God has given to us. It's a joy that God makes available to us right here and right now. Even in our garden experiences, Jesus in the garden sweated great drops of blood, the gospel teaches us. But he endured that, and he endured the cross, the writer of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him. It wasn't that Jesus had no joy here, and he was waiting to get there. No, he had joy here. He had joy in his people. He had joy in his disciples. He had joy in the mission that God had sent him to earth to accomplish. He had joy in all things. Was it easy? It wasn't easy. Was it pleasant? It wasn't pleasant. But are you not glad that Jesus did not take the easy way out? Are you not glad that Jesus endured the unpleasantness of the cross? Are you glad that Jesus endured that for you and for me? And that he did that because you were his joy, because you are his joy. And if Jesus can have joy in us, 
and submit himself to be murdered by wicked men, can we not have joy in him? Even when we live on a curse that on an earth that is still under the curse. And sometimes in our lives, we walk through the valley of shadow. And sometimes in our lives, we walk in darkness and it's hard to see the light. Can we not have joy in the son of God who has gone before us, has made a way for us where there was no way and has promised and has secured our way to higher ground, even to a table that he has set before us in the presence of our enemies. The plan and the purpose of God in all things gives us hope. Gives us a reason to rejoice, to have joy. Ever present and solid joy that God has provided for us right now in Christ. This is the hope the resurrection gives us. It is the hope that takes us from tragedy to victory. It is the ever-present and everlasting hope we have through faith in Christ. The resurrection is the basis of our faith. So Paul writes this. We just read this. Let me read it again, verses 14 through 17. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. Verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the basis of our faith. If there is no resurrection, there is no atonement for sins. If there is no atonement for sins, then we're still in our sins. And we have a faith that is pointless, futile, it's vain. But praise God, Christ is risen and our faith is not in vain. And we have a reason to trust him always. The resurrection is the basis of our justification. What's justification? Just if I'd never sinned. This is what John writes in his first epistle when he says, in this is love, that in the day of judgment we have boldness and confidence because as he is, so are we in this world. As who is? As Jesus is. When we appear before the Father one day, we will appear before the Father and the Father will see us as he sees the Son. Why? Because Jesus justified us. Paul writes this in Romans 4.25, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We have no hope of justification if Christ is not risen, for he was raised because of our justification or for our justification. His resurrection is our justification that brings us peace with God and hope in all of life. His resurrection is proof that the Father accepted the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The sacrifice of Christ atones for our sin and his resurrection brings about our justification. So Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, verses 31 through 39 listen to the words of the apostle paul what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. For is who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, for who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ Jesus, our Lord. Christ is risen. So we can say with the apostle Paul and all who give witness to Christ in life and in death. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The apostle says in all these things, in all what things? That is, in all the things that life brings to bear on us, in all things we can say we are more than conquerors. For truly, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer to that question is no one. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, what? Can be against you. Well, it can be against you, but it can't prevail against you. It can't overcome you. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know how hopeless. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. The son of God was murdered. He was hung on a cross. He died. This is the Lord of glory. This is the creator of heaven and earth. Do you hear me? He was murdered and he died. It doesn't get any more hopeless than that, people. The creator of heaven and earth was killed by his creation. It does not get any more hopeless than that. I promise you, whether you believe that or not, it's true. And yet, in the face of the greatest crime, the greatest tragedy, the murder of the Son of God at the hands of his own creation... God brought victory from tragedy. And I submit to you that if God can bring victory from the greatest tragedy, he can bring victory from your tragedy. He can bring victory from your life, from your situation. If God is for us, Who can be against us? Do you believe this? Not mentally, but I mean, do you believe this down in your soul and down in your spirit? 
Do you believe what you know to be true because the scripture declares it because Christ is risen and the tomb is empty? Or are you giving places to the voices that are chattering in your ear and in your mind telling you not to believe? See, that's what the enemy does. That's what our flesh does. That's what the world does. Do you believe this? God knows our weaknesses and he above all understands our testing, our trials and our temptations. But God wants our lives to communicate faith. Faith is a gift that God gives to us. Don't receive that gift in vain. Take that gift. Walk out your faith. Trust in Jesus. Hope in the power of his life and resurrection. Trust in God. Hope in the power of his resurrection. God knows how to turn tragedy into victory. He did it in the cross. He did it in the cross of Christ. He'll do it in the cross that you are bearing even now. This is the hope we have in the resurrection because we are justified in the risen Christ. We have peace with God. And if God is for us, who or what can be against us? And the answer to that question gives us a hope that transcends the depths of our deepest and darkest valleys. And it transcends the heights of our highest and brightest mountains. In other words, there is no time in your life when you are so high that you do not need need God's grace. And there is no time in your life when you are so low that you are below and out of the reach of God's grace. His grace is sufficient and his grace sustains us always in all things. So the resurrection is the basis of our justification. The resurrection is the basis of our faith. And the resurrection secures our hope. If there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sin. If Christ is not resurrected, then Jesus is no different than any other man. And his death is no different than any other death. And his sacrifice is absolutely meaningless. If Christ is not risen, not only is his death meaningless, but our own death and our own life has no meaning and no significance. This is what the Apostle Paul was conveying when he wrote these words and he he conveyed this to the Corinthian church. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Because Christ is risen, we have a hope that is real and a hope that is secure, and a hope that is eternal. If Christ is not risen, we have no hope. And if our hope does not go beyond this life, the promises of God have no real and no eternal value. But here is good news, church. I'm going to tell you again, Christ is risen. There is hope. He is Not only risen, but he is the resurrected Lord of glory. In fact, he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to Martha at the death of Lazarus, 
Quoting from John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? And Jesus is asking us today, you and me, do you believe this? Christ is risen. He is the resurrection and the life, and he is our hope. And I pray that you believe this. Mom, believe this for your son. Have hope for your son. Have hope for your loved ones, whether they're sick or whether they're suffering or whether they're in sin so deep it seems like there's no way out. Have hope, have faith. If God can bring victory from the tragedy of the murder of his son, then he can bring victory from alcoholism. He can bring victory from the bondage of drug addiction. He can bring victory from the bondage of any sin that you might find yourself in, any circumstance that you might find your life mired in. God can bring victory from tragedy. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not preaching to you pie in the sky. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying for you to deny the reality of what you're having to deal with in your life. I'm saying in the reality of what you're dealing with, in the mess and the mire and the dirt and the filth and the hardness of it, God is not removed from you. God is with you. Jesus really experienced death. He was put in a real tomb he really suffered he really died he was really torn apart for our sins jesus is not some savior who saved us far removed no jesus came to where we were he suffered like we suffer he knows what you're going through i might not know what you're going through but i don't have to know what you're going through because god knows what you're going through And he knows because he's been there. The Bible is clear on this, that there is nothing we will go through in this life. There is nothing we will suffer in this life that Christ has not already already suffered. There is no temptation that will come to us that Christ has not already been tempted with. This is why he is a man who can identify with our suffering and with our sorrows. Christ is risen. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our hope. Believe this. Paul writes this, but now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. When Paul writes Christ, the first fruits, he's giving an allusion to the feast of first fruits. And it was, it was the, the custom, it was what God required that at that feast, the, the Israel would bring in the first sheave of the harvest. And the first sheave of the harvest weighed before the Lord as an offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord, 
guaranteed, it indicated that that was the beginning, not the end of the harvest, but it was the beginning, that that was the first fruit, which meant that there was more fruit to follow. Jesus is called the first fruits of resurrection. And Paul is speaking of a bodily coming of Christ and a bodily resurrection and a bodily transformation of all who belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus this morning, if you are trusting Jesus as the only way to salvation, if you are trusting him as the resurrection and the life, there is a promise from God that there will be a bodily resurrection and a bodily transformation that will take place in you and in me and in all who belong to Jesus one day. This is what Paul is communicating. Christ is the first fruits of the harvest we have become in him by grace through faith. In this, we find the ultimate hope of resurrection. In the resurrection of Christ, God gives to us the fullness of hope in the fullness of his life. In the living Christ are all the promises of God, past, present, and future, made eternal. Our present is secure because our future is secured by what Christ has already finished. In the promise and hope of the resurrection, there is coming a day when we will see the ultimate glory of God. And this is the glory we live to and the glory we live for. Paul says this at the very end of the verses I read. When he gives us this picture of have Christ, Christ reigning now in the day coming when Christ will give all back to the Father. And all things will be put under the rule of the Father. And it says, and God, that God may be all in all. This is the ultimate glory of God, the glory we live to and the glory we live for, that God may be all in all. The resurrection of Christ secures our own resurrection, it secures our redemption and all God's promises to his children. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope now and eternally in him. The resurrection of Christ is the basis of our faith. It's the basis of our justification. It's the basis of our hope. His resurrection takes us from tragedy to victory. It vanquishes the enemy. It ensures that the last enemy death will finally be destroyed. That God may be all in all. That's good news, church. We have reason to trust, we have reason to rejoice, we have reason to hope in all things. Christ suffered the greatest tragedy that we will ever, that will ever be suffered in all of creation. And he suffered that tragedy in the Father's will, but not without the promise and the hope of victory. The greatest tragedy in creation became the greatest victory in creation. Christ is crucified. Christ is buried. Christ is risen. And he has ascended to the Father. And he now reigns over all until that day when he will present all back to the Father that God may be all in all. And if you are in Christ, you will see that glorious day. I can't imagine I cannot imagine that day 
when the last enemy is put underfoot and Christ returns to the Father, all rule and all reign, and God is all in all. And there is no more curse. There is no more death. There is no more dying. There is no more sadness. There is only in his presence, as the psalmist writes, joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you are in Christ, you will see that glorious day. The day when all the shadows and all the suffering, all the pain of this world will have passed away into the glory of God. Here is the admonition from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, listen church, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. God did not apprehend you. God did not lay hold of you for you to give up hope, for you to lay down faith. God laid hold of you. He apprehended you that you would press on, that you would look forward, that you would reach forward, that you would have hope, not only in the life to come, but in this life. So what do we do until that day, that day when God is all in all, until that day when the last enemy death is put underfoot, what do we do until that day? How do we endure by his grace is how. And by his grace, we keep on pressing on. We keep reaching forward to those things ahead. We don't look back. We don't, we don't take our hand off the plow, but we trust, we rejoice, we hope always in the promise of God and Jesus Christ. This is the challenge before us, to continue in his grace, to trust, to rejoice, to hope, in all things to the glory of God. Amen. I would ask you to stand and we will pray.
the hope of the resurrection. It's the greatest story. Do you realize this church? You are part of the greatest, literally, not a, not a movie, not a TV series, but you are literally reality. This is real. You are part of the greatest story that anyone could ever be a part of. You are a part of that. You are a part of God taking the greatest tragedy and bringing forth the greatest victory. This is why you have hope. Father, we freely confess that we can only have hope. We can only trust. We can only rejoice in all things. Give thanks in all things by your grace. So we come to you today in our weakness, in our failures, in our fear, in our doubt, in our unbelief, God. We come to you. But we come boldly and we come with confidence in the name of and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would pour out your grace in each one here. Pour out your grace on this body called Christ Fellowship Church. Pour out your grace on the church universal, represented all over this city and all over the world, that your church, that your people, God, that this church and this people would give witness to your grace and to your glory, to their friends and their family and their neighbors. We thank you for the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have now, right now, in this life. Because we have hope now, we know that we have hope eternally. And our hope is in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and the risen Savior. And to him be glory and honor forever and ever, world without end. In Jesus' name, amen.